If you will fail your way to greatness, most people allow their fear of failure to outweigh their desire to succeed. When you're willing to fail again and again and again, when you make up your mind to become unstoppable, when you make up your mind to become a no matter what person, then that will then give birth to a part of yourself that you don't know right now. How to fire your boss, build a full-time career, and live life on your own terms with investing in real estate. You are listening to the Amputee Investor Podcast. Husband, father, and dangerously handsome. Here's your host, Miles Berrio. Hey, what's going on, guys? So really quick, I want to dive into a couple of questions that one of my students literally just asked me. They just called me, and I hopped on the phone with them, and I just thought these questions were really, really good questions, especially for someone who's interested in wholesaling real estate um, and really just getting started or just a beginner. Um, these are common questions that sort of newbie wholesalers are asking, and I think they're great questions. Um, so I'm just going to dive in right into the conversation. Or basically, I'm just going to explain the questions that they asked and then just share with you guys the answers. Okay, so... Number one, um, he started kind of explaining like, you know, he's like, hey, Miles, I, you know, I, I remember that list that you pulled a little while back. Um, you know, I wanted to go back to that list to kind of follow up on some leads or kind of try it again. And I just started sending out some text message marketing, you know, to these potential sellers. And I started getting responses back from some sellers and, you know, uh, you know, particularly like one seller is like, hey, you know, I'll sell my property for $250,000. Now, you know, is that like a good price to like wholesale a deal? Like, is that too high? Or is that like, you know, can you wholesale something where someone's asking for like $250,000? And I think that's a great question, guys, because, um, you know, let me kind of put this into context. So we, th- this list particularly is in the South Carolina market. And this is important to note because every market has like a different average home price, right? Like if you were going to buy a house for like $250,000 in like Laguna Beach or LA, like, dude, you probably, you probably wouldn't even be able to buy a house, right? It'd be like a shack, right? But like in South Carolina, 250 to $300,000 is a a pretty, that's a nice house. Like if you, you know, home prices that are like 269, 285, you know, 299, 300, 310, 270, like, you know, that's a, those are good home prices for sure. Some nice houses. So, um, basically the reason he asked that is because he's thinking like, man, that's kind of like a high price. That's like on the higher end in this market. Like, can you wholesale a deal like that? And it's a great question. And here's the answer. It doesn't really matter what the seller is asking for. All that matters is what is the property worth if it was fully renovated um, or basically what we call the ARV, the after repair value, right? Because you could have a seller that's asking for $400,000 on a property, but if you put $90,000 or $90,000 into the property, it would be worth 750 grand. Maybe they're just, there's just such a distress and they really need to sell their property. So this property that would be worth $750,000, totally fixed up easy. There's like enough comps to support that they're willing to sell this property for like $400,000. And it, to get to that high value, all you need to do is put about eighty to $90,000 into the property. So does it really matter that they're asking for $400,000? No, because it's still a great deal. So it's not really about the asking price. What matters is what is the amount of equity between what the seller is asking for and what that total value of that property is. So anyway, I thought that was a great question. Um, and that actually kind of led to the second thing. He said, okay, no, that totally makes sense. You know, but you know, the reason I'm asking is because it's like, it, you know, some of these, you know, a lot of these responses I'm getting, they're like nice houses. This, these were some nicer homes. And I think the reason why as well is I kind of sprinkled in some sort of hedge fund, 
um, uh, targeted list or targeted leads in that list, which I'll go into in a second. But he's basically asking, like, can you wholesale a nice house? He's like, man, this property is kind of nice. Like, it doesn't really need much repairs. Like, I mean, can you wholesale like a nice home? And it's a great beginner question because again, it's being able to understand what wholesaling means. So it doesn't matter if the house is ugly, falling apart. It doesn't matter if the house is beautiful HDTV. All that matters is what is the seller asking for and how much of a spread or how much equity is it between what that asking price is and what the property is actually worth. Because you could have a house that's actually really, really nice, but I don't know, maybe the husband and wife got divorced or maybe there's some huge medical situation or whatever, who knows? And they are very motivated. The sellers are highly motivated and they're willing to sell at a discount. So again, let's just say, and we don't even need to have a high priced home. Let's just say even like 150 or 200 grand, right? But the house is like nice. It's like newly written. I mean, it's like a nice house, but they're asking for like $90,000. Maybe they're just like, we just want 90 grand for it you know, and the property's worth like 200 grand or even 150. And it's like, there's like no repairs. Like it's literally beautiful. And they're asking for $90,000, right? Like that, that would be a great, you could definitely even at minimum make five, 10, $15,000 to, to assign that to someone for sure. Or just figure out obviously how to buy it yourself. Cause it needs zero repairs. And you can figure out a way to maybe be in there with private money and you gotta, you gotta not diving into all the aspects of funding the deal. But essentially the idea is, can you wholesale Anything really is the underlying question in that. And the answer to that is absolutely yes. You can wholesale anything, guys. You can wholesale multifamily. You can wholesale a, a, a 150 unit apartment complex. You can wholesale a duplex. You can wholesale a single family home. You can wholesale a commercial mixed use building. You can, you can wholesale land. You can, I mean, you can wholesale anything. A, a, a short term rental Airbnb wholesaling literally just means you have a agreed upon price with the seller. And you're able to find an end buyer who's willing to buy the property at a higher price, right? So there's a wholesale price and there's a retail. And that can happen with any type of property. So anyway, I just thought, again, it was a great question because it's like, you know, you're new and I get it because it's like, man, can I, you know, a lot of times with wholesaling, you kind of hear these like, we buy houses cash and these ugly houses and ugly homes that need a lot of repairs because a lot of whole, a lot of that is wholesale, right? A lot of it is finding distressed, you know, motivated sellers because of course, you know, uh, if the seller is motivated, that means you can buy the property generally at a discount. Now, it's important to note that motivation or let's just say distress doesn't always have to mean the properties in distress. Guys, there's two types of distress that can cause a motivated seller. You can have the property be falling apart and look ugly and the property be distressed, or you could have the seller in distress. So the property could actually be amazing, but the seller is going through, like I said, foreclosure or probate or um, you know, a divorce or, you know, liens or tax liens that they can't pay or whatever the situation may be. And they are in distress in terms of their situation and the property can still be nice. So you get it at a discount because they really need to sell and you're able to make an assignment fee or wholesale that property, um, to, to make the difference, which is essentially again called the assignment fee or the wholesale fee, right? So great question. Moving into the last thing, number three, and that kind of leads into the idea um, of really talking to the seller because after I, after I answered that first question and the second question, um, you know, my student was like, okay, man, yeah, I totally get that. That's awesome. Well, man, I'm excited. You know, um, I'm supposed to be talking to the seller, calling her a little bit later today. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can agree to a price. And when I heard that, 
I wanted to dive into, again, the wisdom of being in this business long enough um, and really sales in general, but the idea of when I heard agree on a price. So I, I, I responded with and I said, dude, that's awesome. It's amazing. Just remember, when you're talking to a seller, the, the goal, the goal, guys, is not to just agree to a price, right? When you call a seller and you're trying to figure out whether or not you can get a deal done here or what's going on, when you call a seller, your priority is figuring out as much as you can about the seller and why they want to sell. That's what I care about. The actual property itself is the property. It's not, there's not really much, I mean, there's not much variance there, right? I mean, it's, it has four walls or maybe it doesn't, right? It's land, you know, it's either gutted or it's not, it needs updates, you know, maybe it needs a new HVAC, plumbing. I mean, all this stuff's pretty just standard. What's important to know is why do you want to sell? What is your challenge? What is your problem? What can I solve? Because you can structure the exit strategy or how to approach acquiring the property based off of their needs. So there are a lot of times where maybe the seller's needs are they don't want to pay a lot of taxes, right? And they also are older in age and they love consistent income. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you haven't already left a review, please go do so. But what I'm really excited about is to share with you guys how you can be a part of my private community. Now, this community is designed specifically for you. It's one thing for you to go on YouTube or for you to listen to podcasts about why real estate investing is so amazing and all the benefits, but it's another thing to be side by side with people that are like-minded and that are helping you figure out how this business and all these strategies can work within your own life because everyone comes from different backgrounds. Some people are married. Some people have kids. Some people have a full-time job. Some people have all of those things. So how can we help you figure out how to make this a full-time career or how you can just really jumpstart your career in real estate depending on whatever specific situation that you're in right now. That's what this community is going to help you be able to discover and figure out and I'm excited to have you be a part of it. So if you're interested in being a part, please just go over to milesbariogo.com and that's miles with a y barrio b e r r i o go.com and you can find out more information in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great day. So I'm already thinking in my mind, based off the seller's needs, I'm not trying to focus on basically just paying cash for the property, right? Because they don't want to pay a ton of taxes. They, they don't want to have capital gains tax. So how can I figure out a creative solution to acquire the property? And then based on that, what's the exit? Well, if I'm acquiring it creatively, okay, maybe I could turn it into rental property because I have less money into the deal or whatever the case may be, right? So it's, it's, it's about figuring out what are the seller's needs and, and how can you solve their problem? And that's the most important thing when you're talking to sell. A lot of times we go into it thinking like, you know, you get, you get scared because you go into it thinking it's like going to be some negotiation battle. And, and yes, there is a little bit of understanding how to communicate with a seller and go back and forth and kind of get to a price. But the majority of a good deal that's done is someone who's able to have the emotional IQ and to be able to really communicate with a seller and say, Hey, what's your challenge? What's your problem? How can I help you? Let's figure this out. I'm here to work with you. Let's figure out a win-win situation. These are all kind of phrases that I share and I say when I talk to sellers because that's the most important thing and you'll uncover way more information and that's going to be much better than trying to come in at it of like, okay, you know, I did my ARV, you know, times 0.7. I got to figure out, okay, this is the price and now I need to make sure we can agree to this price, right? It's very much about self and you want to figure out, okay, how can I help that other person, right? So 
Um, I think I answered all the questions here. I think we talked about a couple of other things. I'm trying to remember, guys. Um, I know we talked a little bit about... Um, I remember answering and saying something. It really just depends on what the terms are. Oh, yes. Okay, this was really the last question. Okay, and this was a great question. So before we hung up the call, uh, my student said, hey, okay, you know, last question. I'm just curious, like, how do you know, like, when a deal is like a subject to deal? Like, how do you know when to do subject to? I thought that was a great question, right? Because, of course, in real estate, you hear about all these different strategies, right? You hear about subject to, you know, seller finance, cash offer, like, and his question is like, okay, you know, because I had just done like a subject to uh, basically seller call with another student and I, and he listened to that call and he's just kind of figuring out like, okay, when do I do a subject to deal? And my answer, my response is, it just depends on the terms. Number one, there has to be a mortgage. So doing a subject to deal means that you are acquiring the property by literally paying the mortgage payments. The mortgage is existing and stays in place and is in the seller's name. You're not assuming the mortgage, but what you're doing when you buy a property subject to is you are paying those mortgage payments on the seller's behalf. So you're buying the property subject to the existing mortgage, which is why it's called subject to. So you, you basically, it needs to be an agreement between both parties, but their number one has to be a loan. If there's no debt on the property, if there's no loan, there's no mortgage, then you can't even buy it subject to. So that wouldn't be the strategy because there's no, there's no mortgage. The second thing is it just depends on, uh, again, kind of just like, you know, what the seller's needs are, right? So, you know, it's, it's first, first and foremost, always like in my mind, the highest, highest action to take when you're buying a property subject to. And here's the reason why, because if you buy a property subject to, it automatically avoids you having to clear out that mortgage, which means less money into the deal. And you have to think about the nature of real estate investing. Like what are the fundamentals? What is the, the theology of investing? It's about putting some kind of money in into something, you're investing in anything. It doesn't matter. You can invest in a business as a, you know, as an angel investor, you can invest in, you know, real estate as a real estate investor, you can invest in stocks, you know, whatever it is. Investing means you put in something and you should be getting out more would be a good investment, right? And here's an an easier way to think about it. If you put $10 into a machine and that machine spit out $10, was that a great investment? Not really. I mean, nothing happened. You didn't make any money. So the time and effort for you to put the $10 in to get something out, you didn't get anything. It just didn't even matter, right? You should, you just could have just kept your $10. But what if you put $1 into this machine and it spit out $9 for that $1? Bam. Now that's an amazing investment. So what was the only difference about this scenario? The only difference about the scenario is, is not that it spit out more money. Cause if you put $10 in and the machine spit out $10, it spit out $10. But what if you put $1 in and it spit out $9, right? So if it spit out $9 for your one that you put in, you actually got less back than the $10 that it spit, that it spit out in the first solution. But because you only put in $1, it was a great, it was a much better return than putting $10 in and only getting $10 out. I'd rather all day put $1 into something and get $9 out every single time, right? Because if I did that, you know, one time, two times, three, four, five, if I did that five times, I'd have like, you know, $5 invested into something, but I have like $45 back. Whereas if I did that with the $10 scenario five times, I would still be at zero. Cause again, if you put $10 in, you get $10 out, you made anything. So you could do that once, twice, third, fourth, fifth, and nothing happened. So really where I'm getting at is it's about 
having less money into a deal is always going to be better. So if you can, you know, have a conversation with a seller and they have a mortgage and you can communicate with the seller the benefits of you being able to just take over those mortgage payments, right? Buying it subject to, that's always going to be the best route to go because it's just less money into the deal period. You're going to have a better cash on cash return. Meaning if the property has a $100,000 mortgage and in order for you to buy it, you got to spend $100,000 before you even get to rehab. Let's say it's $50,000 of rehab and then you got closing costs and then the cost of maybe raising the private money or the hard money, whatever it is. You know, maybe you're all in 60, 70 on the back end in terms of buying it to clear out the $100,000 mortgage and then the purchase price plus all the you know repairs, et cetera. Well, what if you could just buy it subject to and you didn't even have to clear out that mortgage? That just saved you all that money that had to originally go to paying off that mortgage because now you're just going to take over that mortgage, right? So it's less money in the deal and it automatically starts increasing your uh, cash on cash return. So it's a great question, guys. When should you do subject to, to kind of summary, to kind of put that in summary again, when you when should you do subject to? Number one, there needs to be a mortgage in place because that's the only way you can buy something subject to existing mortgage if there is a mortgage. Now, after there is a mortgage, you should always try to acquire it subject to if you can. The only time you should not try to buy something subject to is if there's an adjustable rate mortgage. Unless you have some sort of creative strategy on the back end to, you know, to to shift out of that adjustable rate and make it a long-term deal, you know, then that might be the case, but in any event, if there, if there's an adjustable rate mortgage, you just don't want to have as an investor something that is adjustable rate, right? Like we're in the season right now where people who have adjustable rate mortgages are really struggling right now because interest rates are going up. So of course, with an adjustable rate mortgage, you, you know, you're going to be in trouble. So you want a fixed rate. So anything that's a fixed rate mortgage, especially if it's an older type of mortgage that was, you know, the property was bought many years ago, maybe it's a two and a half percent, three and a half percent, you know, one I don't know, 1% out there, but you know, 2.7, 3.2, 3.9, like these some really good interest rates compared to the, you know, you know, six, seven, 8% that you might hear today or see today, then it's always amazing to just take over that existing mortgage, less money into the deal, better cash from cash return. So anyway, guys, hopefully this was uh, insightful um, being able to share with you guys my conversation with one of my students. By the way, this is the kind of stuff that I do within my community, Wholesale to Freedom. Um, so anyway, hope you guys have a great day. And uh, I believe the next audio that I'm going to be sharing with you guys is going to be a seller call. So definitely get excited about that. Um, and if it actually, it's a subject to seller call. So it was a great conversation with a seller uh, for one of my students. And um, it was me working with a seller on subject two and them understanding basically the approach to it and how to communicate um, and basically how I talk to sellers. So get excited. Um, and, uh, yeah, let me know how this show is, uh, is for you guys. You know, I want to hear your feedback. I love the reviews so far. I love the feedback, but I want to hear more. I want to know, you know, what more can I share for you guys or how I can help just in general. So thank you guys for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode. This has been another episode of the Amputee Investor Podcast with your host, Miles Berrio. 